This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. This morning, I'm asking you to turn to what I believe is one of the greatest resurrection passages in the Bible. When we think about the resurrection texts, and obviously one is not more important than the other, Uh, But when we think about resurrection texts, this is one of my favorites because it takes the realities of what happened that first resurrection morning and it shows the direct impact uh, of the resurrection on your life and my life. We need to be reminded the gospel is not just there for me to put my faith in Christ and then someday to have eternal life in a home in heaven. The gospel is about my whole life. I come to faith in Christ, he moves in, and then the gospel is he continues to change me into the image of Jesus until I stand before him. And you cannot separate the truth of the gospel from the resurrection. In fact, the apostles will emphasize it, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord, the Lord Jesus, and what? Believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, then thou shalt be saved. Somebody says, well, yeah, I I believe in Jesus. I I just have a hard time with that resurrection thing. You're not saved. You believe that Christ's work on the cross was sufficient, and that three, three days later, he rose victorious from the grave. It all is part uh, and, and quintessential. So on the first resurrection morning, literally human flesh, the body of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that had been killed, walked out of a tomb on the north side of Jerusalem. His resurrection enables all flesh to have new life, while living here, and eternal life with Jesus forever. The resurrection is one of the most practical doctrines in all of Scripture. So today we need to truly understand what it means to live life in Him. What, is true, what it truly means to know Him in order to have the power of His resurrection living through us every day. And so, in the final time that we have together, let's look quickly at the impact of his resurrection. The impact of Christ's resurrection. Do you know Christ as Savior? If you know Christ as Savior, there is resurrection power that should be changing everything about your life. Everything. That's the reality, that's the impact that that should be having if, and this is important, and in the passage we're going to look at, it talks about knowledge. If you have the knowledge of what the resurrection is intended to do in you as you yield to the Spirit of God. You're in Philippians 3. Look, please, at verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh... 
If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. Now what Paul is doing here is he's setting the tone. We all trust something to get along in life. For a long portion of Paul's life, he trusted his flesh. He trusted himself. And he found out that that was vanity. That was foolishness. All right, and so he's going to go on and he's going to talk about the standing that from a human standpoint he thought that he had. If anybody could earn their way to heaven, if anybody uh, could, could please God from the standpoint of impressing God and crossing all uh, the T's and dotting all the I's, it was Paul. <clears throat> so he's going to go on, he's going to say, all right, trusting my flesh, if somebody could do that, I qualified. Here was my standing. Let's look at Paul's standing now in verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day. When it came to circumcision, that, that act that, that allowed a person to be a, a part of the covenant uh, body of Israel, part of their, uh, their family, so to speak. Paul was an eighth day man. All right. He wasn't like proselytes, Gentiles, who were circumcised in their maturity. No, the eighth day. In fact, Paul could look back and boast that his parents had followed the law. And so the eighth day, they followed the law and had this done to their son. Of the stock of Israel, read on. He was an original. Not only was he an eighth day, he was an original, not a proselyte. He was a Benjamite. <clears throat> he was a distant son of Rachel, who Jacob favored. He possessed the name of Israel's first king, Saul. And oh, by the way, from the very same tribe, he was from Benjamin. We're told in Judges 5 that the battle cry of Israel at that time was, After thee, O Benjamin. This Paul sounds like he was somebody. Of course, his name at the time was Saul. But, but, you know, he, boy, what a resume. But we're not done. A Hebrew of the Hebrews <clears throat> means that he had Hebrew parents <clears throat> and retained the characteristic qualities in language and custom as distinct, again, <clears throat> from the Hellenistic Jews. The Jews in Paul's day who had embraced Greek and Roman culture. His family, his lineage, his parents, himself, they were different from that. Even though Paul's family had probably been forced to uh, leave Israel and what we know as the diaspora, some point in Israel's past, and now they were living in Tarsus, and although Paul knew the Greek language as well as Aramaic, Acts 21, 22 tell us that. But here's the point. He knew Hebrew. He had not been Hellenized. Okay? In the modern vernacular, he wasn't worldly. His family wasn't worldly. These were true Jewish people. But he's not done. He's a Pharisee. 
who thought he was staying true to the scriptures and believing all the right things. And by the way, this, this shouldn't be lost on us this morning. Do you know what the Pharisees believed? They believed in the resurrection. So even there he qualified, right? The Sadducees, they didn't believe it. But he believed it. He was a good Pharisee. So in the flesh, everything was lined up. All the qualifications, everything needed to please man and God, so he thought. And it's interesting that in the context here, how is that described? It's flesh. In other words, it's not of the spirit. It's not anything that can help you towards God. It's just flesh. It's you. It's self. At one time, Paul believed that all that really mattered. Now, if you ask the average religious American if they are in good standing with God, their response would probably be something like Paul's, wouldn't it? Well, my parents were religious and had a reputation, good reputation in the community. They raised me to speak like a Christian or whatever religion you claim to be a part of. And you can ask me any religious question, and I believe just like you do. All the things that we've heard people say. Well, do you believe in the resurrection? Oh yeah, I believe that too. For much of his life, this was Saul's, Paul's standing before God. And yet, none of it mattered. In fact, let's just be honest, all of this matters to a lot of people whether Jesus rose from the grave or not. But it doesn't do any good. Would you claim to have a similar standing as you look at your past and what you profess to believe? There is much of Christianity today that is not Christian based on the truth of God's word, but based on tradition. Well, I'm a Christian because I keep these traditions from the church. Well, unless you are a Christian based on the truth of God's word, your tradition doesn't help you at all. You say, well, how can you say that? We, I can look back thousands of years and, and people have held to these traditions. And I would simply turn you to the first century and I can take you back there and I can show you that there were early Christians who accepted the, the gospel by faith alone who were already trying to make the scriptures say what the apostles never said. You say, well, my traditions are based on, okay, but your traditions, even if it's an early saying, if it disagrees with what John and Paul and Peter wrote under inspiration of Scripture, if it disagrees with what they said, your tradition is worthless. In fact, let me use the biblical term, it's simply flesh. Based on what flesh way back when wrote in contradiction to the Scripture, it has no value. It's very hard to step back and look and, and, and just look at the history of mankind and to see how Christianity has been perverted and to think that there are 
millions who have gone into eternity without Jesus Christ because they thought they were Christian and what they believed was based on the flesh and frankly was no different than what Paul thought he was good for. So Paul's standing. Can I ask you this morning, what is your standing? Along with Paul's standing, notice what he said about his serving. If anyone could be religious and get to heaven, Paul made it. They didn't make it that way. What about Paul's serving? There was never any doubt that Saul of Tarsus practiced what he believed and that he preached. Look at verse 6. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Not only did he speak out when others opposed his doctrine, he tried to stamp out those who believed differently. He was zealous. It's one thing, and many, many people, including Christians, won't speak out when someone opposes what they claim to believe. But Saul was very different. If you disagreed, he'd try to stamp you out. And especially he hated those who believed that Jesus of Nazareth was Israel's Messiah, that what he did at the cross was the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. We didn't need the, the uh, sacrificial system anymore. It all pointed to him. He settled that at the cross. He paid for man's sin. He washed it away, not just covered it like the law said, but he washed it away that his work was sufficient. And three days later... He rose from the tomb. Paul hated that. He tried to destroy that until one day on the road to Damascus, he met the risen Jesus himself. <laughs> and by the way, he didn't argue about the resurrection at that point. He said, who are you, Lord? So, Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law. This is his former thinking. Again, verse 6, blameless. When it came to keeping the Old Testament law, there was nothing like Saul's, nothing in Saul's life that you could grab onto to show that he was breaking what God had said, at least outwardly. If you watch this man's life, he kept the law. There was no doubt. Later in Romans and other places, Paul would confess the truth that inside, really, he was serving the flesh too. But when it came to keeping up appearances, Paul was blameless in his service to Judaism. There are a lot of Christians that aren't that zealous, uh, whose testimonies aren't that blameless, but Paul, at least from appearances, was this kind of a man. Now in speaking up for what you believe and truly following what you claim to believe and opposing those who don't agree with you, if these could put you in good standing with God, Paul was set to meet the Lord. But there was a serious problem with the way Paul used to think. This is where Paul realized that the baggage of these false ideas and worthless thoughts were going 
were not going to help him reach heaven's shore. You can convince yourself of all kinds of things. But unless your convincement comes from what God has said here, it's just empty reasoning. And it's amazing that in this resurrection text, this is the conclusion that Paul comes to. Now notice verse 7. But what things were gained to me, everything we just talked about, his standing, his service, all these things, what does he say? Verse 7, those I counted loss for Christ. Now quite literally, and I'm going to give you an illustration in a minute, Paul is saying I took all those things and I tossed them overboard. When you lose something over the side of a vessel, it's gone usually. And that is literally the imagery that Paul is using here for you sailors that are trying to witness aboard ship. This is a great text and I'm going to explain why in just a moment. Counted laws in verse 7 speaks of a ship in a storm at sea trying to reach safe haven, but the cargo is weighing that vessel down. There are a couple times in Scripture, one of those times is in Acts 27, where a vessel is threatened. In Acts 27, Paul is on the ship. And they're concerned because they've lost control. It's an awful storm. They're concerned that if we don't lighten the vessel, whatever we hit, wherever we go, we're all going to die. And so what happens is they start taking everything off and throwing it overboard that is not going to help them reach safety. Do you get the picture? That's the illustration that Paul is using here. When Paul realized that what he believed was going to destroy him, he counted it as worthless and tossed it overboard. Now how worthless did he count it? Verse 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Paul did suffer because he turned his back on what the Judaizers thought was important. He walked away, he tossed it overboard. They thought he was crazy. One minute they're giving him letters to go to Damascus to try to kill Christians, the next minute they're trying to kill him as a Christian. By the way, what, a, what an example of what religion really is. And then he says, and I do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Totally, totally worthless. Paul takes the illustration to this point. To try and satisfy his spiritual longing was as worthless as human waste. Or this could be speaking, as, as Lightfoot says in his commentary, of the food left over from a great feast. Have you ever been someplace where there was so much food, but everybody's full and there it sits? It's not of any value anymore. All right, and Paul had been trying to satisfy himself for years as Saul with, with the thinking of, of the way he had been taught and what Judaism taught and Old Testament minus the rest of the Old Testament. In the passage I read earlier, Jesus, those men on the road to Emmaus, those two, what did he, he open the scriptures and from the Old Testament he reasoned with them that he was the Christ. You can be saved out of the Old Testament, 
but you can't be if you're just looking at the law. And so Paul said, it's worthless. It's got to go overboard so that I can get to Christ. Now don't miss the fact that what we think and believe makes an eternal difference. What you think, what you truly believe between those two ears of yours, it's going to make an eternal difference. It does matter. Knowledge of Christ, you see that in verse 8, is necessary to win Christ. What does that word win mean? To gain him, to have him. And so this brings us in the text to Paul's new standing. I love this, verse 9. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness. That went overboard. It's no, of, of no use. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God, from God, by faith. What a text. To be found in him has the idea of being found out as true or false. The Bible gives us an example of people that will one day stand before the Lord and they'll say, didn't we do all these wonderful things and cast out demons and, 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 and do all this? And he'll say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. What's the problem? You don't have my righteousness. You're trying to convince me of your own. And you don't have me. I don't know you. Boy, is that a sobering text. It's not your standing. It's not your flesh when you meet Jesus. You must be found in him. That's the answer. Scripture says that we can be found to be liars, Proverbs 30 and verse 6. We can be found guilty, Proverbs 30 and verse 10. We can be found faulty, Hosea 10 and verse 2. We can be found to fight against God, Acts 5, 39. We can be found faithful, 1 Corinthians 4, 2. In the end, Paul wanted to be found in him. If you look at that verse again, verse 9, he wanted to be found in Christ. This is based on the knowledge of Christ Jesus back in verse 8. And the fact that he loves you, he gave himself for you, and that you have put aside everything else. You're not coming on your merits. You're coming based on his promise, admitting you're a sinner, and receiving his free gift of salvation, which means to receive his righteousness. Now what are the implications of being found in him? Well, it's a new standing of righteousness. Not yours, but his. Who was without sin, eternal God, sinless. A new standing of righteousness, not your own, but from God. Declared righteous, justification through faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9 again. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, trusting him, the righteousness which is of God by faith. The law could never make a man righteous. It could only condemn him to death. Now through faith in Christ, Paul had been given Jesus' righteousness permanently. The resurrected Jesus had moved into Paul and Paul had been placed by the Holy Spirit 
into the body of Christ. And so it is with every believe, true believer here today. You are in Christ, placed into the body of Christ. And that happened at the moment that you believed on him and he came by his spirit to indwell you. And he's not going to leave you, by the way. He is the proof that you've been purchased. And you are sealed until the day of redemption, till you meet Jesus. So, oh, the resurrected Jesus moved into Paul. He is part of the body of Christ now. He now had the new standing that everyone who places his or her faith in Jesus Christ has. Is that your standing today? Is it your standing? Paul's new standing changed his perspective on everything. His focus used to be on his service, his doing, his flesh. Look at me. I think I have everything arranged the way I need to have this. That's religion. All that got thrown overboard. Paul's new standing caused him now to focus on not earning his favor with God, but his new sufficiency being God. Look at verse 10. That I may know him. Paul knew the Lord. The way this is worded here, he's saying that I may know him even more. And he goes on to explain how knowing him more will lead to some pretty awesome, amazing things for the Christian. Knowing him more. The idea here is of knowledge Knowing Jesus personally by experiencing him daily and appropriating what I have in him. This reminds every one of you pastors here and it reminds me. God's people need to have an understanding of sanctification. What it means to have Christ in you and the power of his resurrection and the change that is wrought by him. Not you working harder, trying harder. It's through him. Our evangelist recently reminded us it's really Christ living his life through us. And when he lives his life through us, it's the powerful resurrected life of the Lord. Nothing can stop what he wants to do if he is in control. That's what Paul said, that I may know him to that extent. Appropriating what I have in him. This includes access to his throne. How's your prayer life? Unlimited grace. How much are you depending? And everything else that he has promised to his disciples through the new birth. Are you accessing what you have in your Lord for victorious living that is making you into the image of Christ. Now what energizes who I am in Christ? Well, it's my knowledge of him that teaches me that I can know and appropriate the power of his resurrection. Let's look quickly. So how does this work, Christian? How does this work? Well, Romans 6, 4, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. This is not water baptism. You have to go back and look at the context. This is when the Holy Spirit supernaturally places us into the body of Christ. He immerses us into Christ's body. 
What happens then? That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. All right? So when I believed on Christ and he came into me, he immersed me into his body, part of the church now, through faith. And when that happened, through Christ now, I have this resurrected life that I can live for him. New life because of the change that he brings. Which is why then Ephesians 2.5 says this, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. All right? Quicken means given new life. Resurrected life. Verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. So at the moment you were saved, all of this transaction happened. And we're reminded here in verse 6, part of the transaction is, just as Jesus is seated at the, seated at the right hand of the Father, do you know that you have an appointed place there too? It's settled. Oh, oh, yeah, that thing about a mansion in heaven. Well, yeah, it's, it's being built for you. But guess what? You already have a seat at that table. Wow. Just as the resurrected Christ has a place at the Father's right hand, so also the resurrected saint has already been given his place to sit there with Christ. Now, what about here on earth? Galatians 2.20 in light of this truth, I am crucified with Christ. So when I got saved, part of me got put to death. The old nature, the old man, it got put to death. That's what crucifixion was. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. This is not about the flesh. Remember that. But Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Mike doesn't have to make Christianity work every day. Amen. I can't. Amen. But when I get up in the morning, I need to get alone with the risen Lord who indwells me. We need to have sweet fellowship and communion together. I need to make sure that all the sin is gone. Anything that needs to be confessed to the Lord, he's washed my sins away. They're eternally gone. But is there anything between my soul and the Savior? I need to make sure that I'm right. And then I need to yield myself as a living sacrifice, Romans 12, completely to the Lord. All of me for all of him. And, and, and this is what I say to the Lord on a daily basis. Lord, today I'm surrendering you to you my mind, including my memories. And my mouth. I just work my way down. And these members, and my motives, all of me for all of you. And if I hold on to any of it, I'm going to make a mess of things. So, Lord, I'm surrendering that to you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, I want to be a living sacrifice today. But, Lord, I'm going to yield to your spirit, and I try to be conscious of the fact that now I'm in a place where he can live and shine through me. Now, how do I stay in that place as I go through a day where the mud and the yuck of the world you know, splashes up on us? It's called praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. 
I just talk to the Lord. I have to talk to the Lord all day about all things. That keeps me focused. That keeps me right. And that lets me experience the power of resurrection. Oh, wow. So through faith in the Christ who I know and who lives in me, I can have this power. I'm equipped to know the fellowship, as you read on there now, the partnership of his sufferings, plural. This may be the physical suffering that he allows into my life that makes me know his power there. Renee and I just spent a week with her father who is failing. For those of you that are caring or who have cared for aging parents, it's not easy. So resurrection power is available to you in that situation to be everything you need to be. What about the, a physical ailment, battling uh, some disease or some illness? Some maybe here this morning, you feel like you're still getting over COVID. How, how do you do that? Well, it's not you. But the resurrected Lord can do that in you. Just yield. Trust. Trust Him. Physical suffering. I love the fact in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 that, that Paul understood this even to the point where the Lord had given him a physical problem, an ailment. We don't know exactly what it was, but three times he went to the Lord and said, Lord, would you take this away? Three times the Lord said no. And then he said this, and this is glorious. Because my strength my resurrected life in you, my strength is made perfect in your, say it, in your weakness. And so Paul said, I'll rather glory in tribulation. Whatever I'm facing, the loss of a loved one, uh, whether it's, it's some physical, other physical thing that I'm facing, maybe the loss of a job, whatever loss it is, whatever went overboard and you think, uh-oh, there goes life. Don't fear. In your weakness, he is sufficient, all sufficient. How about persecution? Of course, this refers to persecution suffering as well. The fellowship of that, enduring things, the same opposition that Paul endured. Resurrection power enables us to be conformable then unto his death. Physical suffering persecution, suffering, and then I'll just tell, you, to tell it this way. The suffering of having to live with the temptation of this flesh every day. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of it. It is suffering, and sometimes it just feels like it's, it's coming at you in, in repeated volleys. Uh, I like what we we're reminded of in Ephesians chapter 6. It does feel like the fiery darts of the wicked. Don't look up because the arrows are coming down, one after another. How do I survive that? Well, I'm conformable unto his death. How did Jesus, with human flesh, all that temptation, persecution from others, he experienced physical ailment as well, how did he continue to move forward and fulfill the will of the Father? Well, being made conformable unto his death. He died to self and he continued to yield to the Spirit. 
that's how it happened. And again, I would encourage you, our evangelist recently uh, preached a great message from that text reminding us that Jesus' humanity was full humanity. He set aside the free exercise of his divine ability to do things and depended completely on the Spirit of God and it was through that that he lived a sinless life. Now, I'm not suggesting any of us can do that because we've all failed at it already. He had no sin. But as we yield to him, guess what? The resurrected life of Christ, that power can live through you. You don't have to sin. You don't. being made conformable unto his death. The Father was pleased with the Son. The Son was committed to always doing the will of the Father. Why? Because he was yielded to the Spirit. You have the resurrected Spirit of Christ living in you now. So this was Paul's new sufficiency. It is our own based on who we are in Christ as we live in faith dependence. So let's close. One of the most moving life experiences for any believer, Pastor Ned asked the choir this earlier this morning as they were preparing, but one of the most life-changing experiences or memorable experiences to visit the garden tomb outside of Jerusalem. If you ever have a chance to go and do that, go. It's worth it. From Gethsemane, the garden, you get to the one side of the garden, and you can look down today literally over a ledge and you can look right down at Golgotha. Now there's a bus station right here that's noisy and obnoxious. But you look away from that and you can still see the face of that, um, of that hill and it still looks like a skull. The eye sockets, the nose, it's still there. I've seen pictures of it going all the way back to the turn of the last century uh, pictures that were, were taken by General Gordon, uh, who was a believer, was in charge of that area of Palestine. And when you look out, it looks like somebody literally took a skull and planted it right in the earth. So on the one end of Gethsemane, you can look down and you know that it was there that our salvation and our standing were one. Jesus hung on the cross. He said, it is, it's finished. Salvation and our standing, it's done. And he gave up the ghost. They took his dead body off the tree, came around to where that garden was, a garden uh, that we believe was owned by Joseph of Arimathea. He had a tomb there. We know it was a garden because there's a huge cistern underneath it. You can get online and look at pictures of that, but they had a water source. It's a beautiful garden today. But there at Golgotha, our salvation and our standing were one. And then you walk down a simple garden path and you come to an empty tomb. And by the way, there is no sign of decay. Unlike the other Jewish tombs, there is no sign of any decay ever happening in that tomb. Why? Because nobody ever decayed in that tomb. Guess what was won when Jesus walked out of that tomb? Your sufficiency. 
And that's why if you are a knowledgeable thinking Christian, you go to that place and you see where the cross was, what was one there where you now stand before the Lord in His righteousness, you don't have to worry about your own. And then you go into that tomb and you see that it's empty and you're reminded of the reality of Scripture. And you stand there and you're thinking, this is my sufficiency. I cannot live the Christian life in my own strength, though my flesh is going to tempt me to try. But my sufficiency is of Christ. So as a resurrected Savior on this earth, what could he do? In that glorified body, what could he do? You're not in a glorified body, but his power now is fully effective to you. Not so that you can show off and try to be somebody, but so that now you can fulfill the will of the Father just as he did. He is risen, as he said. And the practical application of that is amazing. Now, know him. And know him more and learn the power of the resurrection that is available to you, Christian. And even in suffering, even when you battle the flesh, let that power be what dominates and controls you to the glory of God. And oh, by the way, in all of that, you will feel, you will sense the joy and the peace of the Lord and satisfaction that nothing else in this earth can bring. So know him and know the power of his resurrection. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you for Paul's honesty to the Philippians. And of course, we know this is inspired scripture. But Lord, it reminds us who we are in Christ. What a difference he makes. Lord, we are going to feel weak. Sometimes you're going to allow things to happen to remind us that we're weak. But all of that is so that we can turn to him who is all sufficient. Now, Lord, on this Resurrection Sunday, would you help us to apply truth now? Father, in this, these closing moments of this invitation, do, do a mighty work, I pray, in hearts, in Jesus' name. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org, or call us at 757 757- We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life.